0: What's going on guys? Welcome back into another episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast here on this semi-somber Friday. Another Sunday game being pre-gamed or previewed 2 days before. I guess we're in favor of Sunday games because you know, it's a it's just a good day for a lot of people to make it knowing that outside of maybe church or something, people can make it, um but this this weekend's different because everybody else is playing tomorrow, and we get a standalone game with Missouri State on Sunday. I'm Nick Malone, usually joined by Noah Lurch. He had other matters to deal with this evening, so I'll be here to recap our second loss in a row, this time to the Bradley Braves. The I-74 series was not... Uh, nice to us in this two-game stretch. We talked about, it was interesting because I mentioned on the on the preview that Brian had talked to Andy Katz and it looked like Brian uh, was in his office back at SIU and we mentioned, you know, the bad weather around here that perhaps staying up there when they're only like 50 minutes apart, barely an hour, Peoria and Normal, that you just stay up there for those days knowing the guys can either, and the whole thing with athletes of, classes and what they can do i'm sure they have a lot of online opportunities and stuff to deal with uh but i'm pretty sure they canceled a lot of classes so they probably should have stayed up they're not saying that would have had any any effect on us potentially winning uh on wednesday but just in general you, you know that's a lot of bus rides that's a lot of three four hours or more especially on a charter that go semi-slow uh so that's how it was like i said the i-74 series was not too fond of us this previous week, so I will dive into that, into that Bradley loss, as well as the typical stuff. We'll mention how we're not on a whole lot of bracketologies this week, and rightfully so. We're on a couple, and there's one in particular, but I'll dive into specifics of perhaps why we still are compared to others who don't have us there. Uh, I won't dive too much into the uh, G League Salukis or the Pro Salukis because haven't had a whole lot of games for any of them. One might be playing right now, Cash Cupette and the Windy City Bulls, but I'll check in on that box score when I when I get to this point. Uh, again, I'll revisit it to see if he's playing. We know he's had some coaches' decisions of not playing. We'll see if he is. Other than that, nothing, but we do have Karnar Davis Jr., and I'll dive into where we'll be seeing him shortly uh, to play again. We saw him at Highland. Cool to see him in person. Looking forward to seeing it again, and then obviously... You know, throughout this, I'll mention the recent and upcoming games, as well as our part two preview against the Bears. So, yeah, I mean, nothing in particular, nothing to pregame about, nothing to discuss it. Anything's different. You know, we're rolling with the same team, same starting lineup against Bradley, who, um, again, starts their own as well. You know, they kind of, they'll kind of mix and match, not as much as the team will be playing on Sunday, but... Uh, they started Malavie, Rick Mast, Hickman, Montgomery, and Dean. So relatively small. They they brought some size and some other players off their bench. They went with just the typical one, two, three with their four and five. I'm not sure looking back if they had been going with the sign-up a lot. They had been making some changes, and they weren't. They knew they could be deep in this game, and they knew they can play at least ten guys, and that's exactly what they did. We only played nine. You know, typically I would go through stuff, and I always say it that yeah, maybe I don't want to go through as much play-by-play. That's typical, and then I find myself doing that, you know, because it's important to find and discuss certain specifics throughout a game. But we were up four nothing. We were, we we're honestly, I I'm not gonna say I had any, you know, bad senses going into this game of you know, that we need the rebound after that loss last Sunday against Illinois State. that a lot of people, like I said on the preview, were kind of already declaring Bradley to win. And it makes sense how good of a home team they were. And wondering wondered if we could, you know, rain on their parade, uh, so to say, but I mean, yeah, up for nothing. And next thing, you know, I mean, this was the rink mass start to the game and we'll get into Marcus and the fact that he no showed in this game, which was a big reason why we lost, obviously. Uh, He had two early free throws within the first three minutes. Uh, And that's uh, the only points he had for a while. I'll dive into some other points. I want to say he honestly did not. I'll go through it. Uh, Whether he scored all of his points in the first half, he might have. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, The biggest thing that stuck out to me at the start of this game was they were finding Clarence, and we talked about Clarence's struggles recently. He was better against Murray State. Uh, Illinois State. He had a couple moments, but this game, in particular, because you know we know Rink is not a easy matchup for anybody, let alone Clarence, who does have his struggles defensively. And Rink was getting the best of him at the start. I think overall, you know, against us as an an individual, you know, defensively as a team, it was tough to match. I mean, he had seven of their first. I mean, he had all seven of their points. So we were up, you know, six to two at once. Like I said, four nothing to start. They were up seven to six, but. I liked it by Clarence. Not only did he finish a layup here, he had some good uh some good makes in this one because he was finding open and X was hitting him. We'll get into X too. He was our he was pound for pound, our best player uh in this game. But what I noticed was Clarence was he he had quick, he had fast hands. You could tell he was tipping a lot of passes. He was doing his best against Rink, who's slippery, so strong can get in the rim. In the second half, Rink was missing a lot of bunnies. Uh you know, we talked about how we went back to that post that the Valley Hoops made about the top three. They just had, you know, Ben Shepherd, Tucker, and Rink, who seems like two of those three aren't really shouldn't be in the top three of Larry Bird Player of the Year. Um, but looking back on it, because they posted three times again, and this time it was Bowen, Marcus, and Ben Cricky, who I think all three have a better case than Tucker and Rink. Tucker and Rink just drawn better teams, you know, the top two teams preseason. And they're both still putting up numbers. We know Tucker, he played in this previous game. He had missed the Belmont game, but it didn't matter in terms of them winning uh, that. But that right there, that example right there could show the value of somebody besides just putting up numbers. And, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's all they're going to look at is how good your team is and how much how many numbers you put up, um, which obviously seems like 95 percent of what should happen. But you got to know the impact and the overall value of most valuable player and you know ben has outplayed rink mass pound for pound i mean he scores more and rink rebounds better so we if we were deciphering who's better there rink is on the better team obviously uh, and then tuck like i said missed a game but you got bowen born i'll get into the incredible game that he had recently ben shepherd's probably going to win the award i think we've kind of established that drop 35 in this loss i'll get into here in a little bit but I mean, because his bad games is about 18 points. You know, maybe he'll drop 18, and that's his worst game. You know, I feel like if the way Belmont's playing that, and I don't need to go on this tangent here about the whole league and stuff, just that post was more alphabetical order of Bradley, Bel, Belmont, Bradley, Drake, because then you got the Southern Illinois, Northern Iowa, Valparaiso. It's all in alphabetical order, so it's not like they left off Marcus. We were treating it that way, and we still want to treat it that way, but... um, Obviously, I think it was in alphabetical order, but uh, you know, rank. The whole point of what I was trying to say there was, Rink's awesome. He's an awesome player, but he'll have moments himself where he'll leave a lot of points on the board. He just won't play as solid at times. And I'll get to. He had a great start, and then didn't really do a whole lot the rest of the game here or there. Clearly, but nothing too special. But you know, Antis tore start, and Clarence was doing a nice job on him. He and for those Marcus free throws, he actually. Tipped an offensive rebound potential, tipped it out of a defensive rebound to Marcus, and he got fouled and made both free throws. Uh, Duke Dean started in this game, but he he was missing shots at the start and got fouled. But we didn't see him near the end. I'll jump into. Uh, we saw Jawan make his have his own five zero run in this first half, got us eleven to seven lead. He had a big three, and then he um, and then he said he had a layup. I'm trying to picture what that layup was exactly, but. Uh, Jawan had a rough or uh, awesome start, and then didn't really finish as well. He had he had some late points that maybe even shouldn't have counted on a potential walk. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Montgomery and Maliby got going. I mean, it, the thing is with this game that was eerily similar to Illinois State is besides the fact that Illinois State had about halfway through had a twelve point lead, up to a twelve point lead that it was really just back and forth the whole time. And I'd say the overall vibe of everything especially the markets clearly changed when jay sean henry came in the game and i mentioned on the preview jay sean henry is a problem and i had an inclination sorry for the wrong word there uh that once he got in the game he was gonna wreck because he's killed us before in his career i had i knew this was gonna be the case we talk about guys that out tough us i mean jay sean henry is the absolute work harder than you no doubt about it and we'd mentioned the concussions he's dealt with. He's just a tough, rugged guy that would get himself in those situations to maybe hurt himself. Uh, but he's just tougher. And like I said, the vibe with Marcus, you could just tell when Jay Sean came in the game, Marcus wasn't even going to try. And that's what we'll dive into. with Marcus in this game was with the certain amount of attempts that he had, a lot of them were because he didn't even try. He was passing it out. He wasn't even really attempting. And like, I'll dive into it all in a second, but Jay Shum was getting easy looks. They once had a five-point lead, about, about the seven-minute mark. When he had a jump shot, he was just getting easy looks. Christian Davis, who comes in, role player, um, he got in, made a shot to give them a three-point lead at the eight-and-a-half mark. But he, uh, he kind of walked on it. Wasn't called. There were a lot of that. too. actually, I could think of for sure on both sides. Uh, at the, about the, the five minute mark, you know, it was one of those things where we we claw back and you just need the one stop and you can't get the key, you know, score or stop when it needs most. And that's really at the end of a game. But throughout it, throughout, you know, to stop runs or create your own run and throughout, you know, the whole game, you know, it's hard to do for us. And X did hit a three, but it was matched by Jay Sean uh, layup. He actually had his own four run here, just layup city. He was getting deep. Darius Hanna was finding him. Uh, a couple of turnovers we were able – I mean, I think overall, I mean, we played fine. I mean, I say fine, even though there are a lot of lapses still. I mentioned and dive into it also about the status now of where we are and what the standings look like. And I'm not going to say – because it seems like there is some overreaction by a lot of people – And clearly, if you lose, you can pinpoint a lot of things that went wrong. And we know with us, it's consistently that way. But, you know, in a game like this and how it was most of the way that we can ugly it up a little bit and our defense can hold serve to get stops is just if our offense can come through and that's the name of the team that we are. But we're able to we've been able to win these close games home and road at the end of a game when we ugly it up a little bit and keep it as low scoring of a game that this even was. Um, But obviously, you know, we can't. We 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 have been talking about sustained for years with with these teams, and we thought this team was a little different in that regard. You're still not being able to as much. Last year, you lost all those close games. When flipping the script a little bit this year on that, I mean, Tav Tavonainen came in shots that I mentioned he had been missing. He was going to hit against us, he didn't in the first half. At least missed that one. JD had a layup, and this one feed it by x i think this was one whenever x when we were down by six needed points at the minute and a half mark x would get so deep once again and he can easily have a layup i think it could be a contested layup but at least draw a foul uh but he gets so deep in there and then look to pass immediately and he found jd luckily jd was ready for it and scored but if, we, if he would have missed that i would have said okay you know and that's the whole thing X was – he had another one of those, you know, fast break 360 passes that gave the ball right back to him. I mean, like I said, X was our, was probably our best player in this game, but he can just have so many bad moments. He can't be perfect, but it's it's the continuous kind of mistakes that X makes that he needs to snap out of. And here's the other point I was making with Marcus is at the 52nd mark, when we were down by six. Um, we're actually on a little 5 run here, so we were once down six. Cut it to four. Excuse me, right before he made that, rink had a layup. Uh, that was off an offensive board. We'll get into, I mean, we could not get defensive rebounds in this game, uh, which was clearly a point of emphasis going against Bradley. Uh, and we'll dive into who didn't play and whatever, knowing that this was a matchup where you you knew you had to do that. Uh, and then Marcus hit a corner three. They cut it to three before the half, and that was, or that wasn't. I'll get into the, how it's. Factored in at the very end once again, but Marcus hit that three, you know, and we actually found him open. I want to say it was a, a Trent found him baseline and found him in the corner. That was, you know, Marcus has had success in corner threes this year. So it was a good look and he made it. So five points for Marcus at half. But right before that, we had a couple more. Uh, X got a steal off rank. We called a timeout at the eight second mark. When we ran about seven seconds off. Could Didn't like what we saw. Had some timeouts to use. And we did, and then out of the timeout, ended up doing whatever to fight to try to get a shot. Jawan had a corner three air ball that was air or went way over, over the top. But Lance, and he said on post game, you know, I, you know, I only felt the need, which should be the case in general. You should crash the boards anyway. We know we need to get, you know, have at least one guy back, and it seems like Lance is, Lance or X needs to be back. And, I mean, I think X is a better rebounder than Lance. They both can get up and get him, but. Yeah, I guess pick your poison with that. You know, whoever, one of them gets back. I guess X would have been closest to getting back. So Lance goes crash to the boards. Like he said, he had nothing else to do in that moment but crash, and he caught the air ball then, and then threw it almost behind his head up to the top of the backboard, and it went in for points right before the half. So we're down by one. he said, with well, how ugly we played, it's a 26-25 game. Bradley wasn't really tearing the world on fire either. They were leaving a lot you know, to be desired as well. So that's the thing. You make it ugly, you don't play well really at all. And your best player has five points. That's the number he ended up with that you're able to sustain and only the regard of hold, serve, and defend and make it this way and get even lucky with that Lance play to get the the points before half. So one point, one point deficit at the half, like I say, okay, it was – we knew we didn't get the tip once again, uh, whatever, you know, possession would be that way. I'll look to see here if we got the bar out of the second half, we didn't Bradley did, but so it's only dive into what the halftime stats were. Cause it wasn't ugly. There was nothing to write home about. Just keep that eye out for Marcus. And we'll all look at the, at the very end of what uh, it was. And, you know, a difference between not only point score, but everything else Marcus did from first to second half. So keep that in mind. So, Marcus did steal it off Zeke to start the second half, and Clarence had a wide-open layup that X found him in, so we had the early lead, and then it was that way. We got, um, I think, I'm not sure if this is when it was. It might have been actually Maliby missed a three. Clarence got the rebound. X, I think this is when he was going fast break, and he threw it right to Sean when he had the turnaround 360 pass. Uh, Lance with one of two from the free throw line, weren't good once again. We'll get into X, even missed a couple throughout here. It's actually shortly after this, so up by two. And then next thing you know, Marcus Shaw, I'm sure it was in the post. Tie game. Maliby three-pointer. So, you know, there were some moments in this where it wasn't to this point yet, but when they make it, you'd say, okay, well, it's so hard for us to earn points with their defense on the other end you need more and more stops. You need to match them defensively. But Maliby made a three. X, like I said, he's so surefire at the free throw line. Hickman fouled him. He went one of two. Uh, and Zeke Montgomery made a jump shot. So the next thing you know, they're up by four. And then it stayed that way until X went one of two again at the free throw line. Down three. Dalton came in. Dalton had a layup. Uh, cut it to one. JD had a jump shot. So here at... at you know, times in the second half. Now we we grabbed a one point lead. It's all about sustaining. And then Duke Dean, who I mentioned was in foul trouble all throughout this. His first points of the game was a, like we said, and after Dalton turned it over, Duke Dean just had some crazy throw up three, kind of whenever it was all log jammed in the half court, threw one up, gave them a two point lead. And Jay Sean had a layup four point lead. Thankfully X had a jump shot. Don't remember exactly what it was. It might've been a floater. I think it was a floater. Um, and I got an easy layup. I think some of some of our guys just lost him. I want to say, when we were switching all the time, you know, and there was a point in this game I'll we'll get to where they had points off of them just running right in front of us and, you know, worried about switching too much to where they just, you know, get right in front of you to the rim. And uh thing about Lance, as we mentioned, he was on the board a couple of times, had a couple of free throws, but he did make a three here to cut it to one. I mentioned how have Lancey's one go in. He'll, he'll, start making some more. And I guess he didn't really throw up a whole lot. He had points here shortly. Uh, Jawan had, and whenever we grabbed the lead once again, thanks to Jawan, who had only his, his last field goal of the game with nine minute Mark, he kind of had a, kind of had a, uh, or I already mentioned it. he traveled on it kind of got deep did his little turnaround, might've took a, took a couple steps. And I want to say throughout this when Jay Sean had a layup, uh, that he also traveled, you know, the angle from the TV wasn't the case, but, our bench appeared to think so. And they said it on the broadcast. So, you know, in the moment, I guess, even for me, like not thinking anything of it at the time, that probably was the case. And, uh, so I, I mentioned there's another one. So that's two on there and Christian Jones's layup. I mean, there's not, I mean, people are going to miss calls. Sometimes some are more blatant than others, but, um, uh, So they got away with that one. We got away with Jawan shortly after the fact. And the rink went one of two from the line. So we're tied at 41, nine-minute mark. So you know these possessions are starting to get more and more dicey. And I mentioned it right here. Or Here is when Malavai got an offensive rebound and put it back up. This wasn't the play I'm thinking of. But uh, it was just constant back and forth after that. Lance had a jump shot. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. When it says jumper on here, it'll say layup. It'll say jumper. Sometimes, obviously, a jumper can mean a floater and stuff. I don't really recall. It might have been or whenever Jawan got an offensive – I think it's when Jawan got a long offensive rebound and he passed it to Lance who kind of – like I said, it was a jumper so it wouldn't be a layup. So I'm not sure what that was. But we, we tied it back up at 43. And then about 30 seconds went by. This is whenever Darius Hanna's long, lanky self got an offensive board. And this is when they took about eight more seconds off the clock and then they're cutting – which teams, I think if you read the scouting report, we struggle against teams that cut. You know, we have struggled at times. Indiana State, you and I did it to shreds against us. Missouri State, we'll see it on Sunday, they did it against us at their place. You cut against us, we'll struggle because of our switching. And, but Malav- or Malavai, you know, Darius Hanna hit Malavai on a cut that got, I think it was Lance that lagged behind and Malavai dunked it. They gave them a the two-point lead and we took a timeout at that Seven-minute mark. This whatever to me, I think, because, like I said the, and, and I want to say I thought this because that Lance jumper beforehand came so hard to happen off an offensive board, and you know it took us getting a long offensive rebound and then just a Lance bulldoze to the rim to, you know, to score. So I knew that you know if we just keep getting stops, we can work with stuff on our on our offensive end. Uh, so I say that just because I think that was the the point where I thought it was gonna be really hard for us, but then I looked to see that Lance made a three to make it a one point game at six twenty marks. So still need these stops and what do you do? They go down Zeke Montgomery makes a tough jump shot. He made some tough looks. Uh he actually looked like he, he actually finished an and one, excuse me. So he finished that up to after the under eight timeout. There were a lot of action to where we got some some late T V timeouts here. But then Clarence made a layup that Troy hit him on. I think it was I don't think he walked. It's just in a moment. Clarence likes to move his feet quick enough to not warrant a traveling, but he did make it. So we tied it up. So good job by Clarence there at the five-minute mark. And then Troy, who I don't even recall this one. I mean, Jay Sean had two free throws. He he went one of two, but Troy fouled him. I want to say it was kind of a crappy call. You know, when Troy was in there, that's a matchup we want Troy to have, and he wasn't able to. Jay Sean, I guess, would muscled him on that one. We still trust Troy in the paint. We know Kendall got the best of him in the last game, and Jay Sean in times in this game. Still trust Troy down there. Uh, So it was at this point, actually, I guess, when it totally turned the tide was, and we couldn't really get back into it within four points, was after that, and we were able, and Lance uh, missed a one-on-one opportunity. They went down, but we we got him. Marcus missed a three in one of his few attempts in this whole game. Duke Dean got it, kind of went coast-to-coast, made a three. And then there was a dead ball, and then there was a TV timeout. Added a TV timeout, Troy missed a jump shot. Don't want Troy really hitting unless he's absolutely wide open. I guess that's what he's been. He's been wide open most of the time, I suppose. But don't really like it, especially if, to get us in the phone in the offense where don't want to settle with a Troy three or a Dalton three. We know Dalton's, we know, can spark kind of a run for us. That's how it's been all year. But after that Duke-Dean through, like I said, foul trouble comes in, makes these huge threes. So that, cut it, that made it a four-point game. Six-point game after... Clarence got a steal after Duke Dean turnover, and then Clarence turned it over because he fell on the floor with the ball uh, that, you know, obviously is a travel. So he turned it over there, should have got rid of it. He kind of fell on it and rolled. Uh, Unfortunate kind of scenario. Zeke Montgomery went down, made a jump shot. Duke Dean fouled Xavier. I guess, you know, this one X was getting pretty deep, you know, and the crowd didn't like some of these calls, but he made both. So cut at the floor, hey, let's get a stop. What do you know, Malavi miss layup, rink mass rebound, J.D. fouled him, rink made both free throws, six-point game. And after that, it was hard for us, you know, and that's whenever they didn't really look back. Duke D made a couple free throws when Jawan fouled him, Hickman, two free throws. We mentioned how they're not the best free throw shooting team. And, of course, you know, I, I talk all about that, saying if you're going to foul them, make them sometimes smart and get them at the line. But they, I mean, they made them all down, down the stretch here. Like I said, a lot of Duke Dean making him, Connor Hickman, Duke Dean again to get at the 12, and then Xavier made a late last second layup to cut at the 10 when it wasn't 12. So I mentioned that we could have had the, the guard advantage in this game. I think X was playing like that was the case, especially whenever, I mean, when Duke Dean was in foul trouble, it was a lot of Hickman, it was a lot of Zeke, it, you know, I mentioned Christian Davis got in this game, so I don't even want to know if Duke Dean played the whole game, if it could have got even more out of hand, but... I mean, it was the offensive rebounds. I mean, maybe not every single time they took advantage and had all those second-chance points out of those offensive rebounds. But, you know, I remember tweeting, it was like the seven-minute mark. It was, it was. let's see here, after Duke D missed a jump shot, Darius Hanna offensive rebound, Malavai missed jumper. Darius Hanna got another offensive rebound. That led to that player, Malevi had that dunk to give him the two-point lead. So it was just stuff like that. You know, you're killing yourself in general – and, I mean, it was the case in that point, Duke Dean just making those huge shots kind of put the damper in there. And the fact that we're in that Clarence turnover, it was just stuff like that, kind of the little stuff that effect, that killed us in the last game. And looking at it in this game, Noah and I were talking how, you know, the way we were playing on that winning streak, it was, like, okay, yeah, let's keep taking care of business game by game, brick by brick. But we were looking ahead and saying, okay, what are the two games to get to 14-6 and or a better record? The two games, really, we can afford to only lose two more times the rest of the year. It was at Bradley, at Drake. So we we did lose at Bradley, and, you know, we would have accepted it more knowing we didn't lose the game prior. Like, Illinois State played awesome in that game. Granted, we didn't play the best. It was a Marcus-led show that, you know, that we just – and credit to them for making the free throws, making big shots – I think Illinois State probably played their their best game they had all season, probably, and of course it came against us and against the guy who drops thirty two. This game you had your moments as well. You ugly the game up a little bit, but your inability to offensive re or to defensive rebound and Marcus Damask not showing up. So let me dive into the box score here finally. Uh, like I said, Clarence had six points, five rebounds—a decent, not bad game for Clarence in 23 minutes. Mentioned that he only played like 10, I think, recently. 23 minutes is a lot for him. We noticed how obviously there was no Scotty in this game, and it begs to wonder why the heck not? This is a game that Bradley is one of the best defensive, or one of the best rebounding teams in the league. We talked in Mike asked Bryant, I guess, before Illinois State or before the game. Before that, if you're ever going to play Clarence with one of the other setters and you don't want to experiment with that like in crucial games, but you know, this was a warning. you. You needed guys to crash the boards and more on top of Marcus playing 34 minutes, only shooting five times, three of them from three is the fact that Marcus, again, talk about his defense a lot. It's bad. Like you'll have his moments of good straight up defense. He'll block a shot here or there. But he he doesn't want to rebound. He's so strong on offense, buddy. You got to do that on the defensive end because you're our four man. You need a rebound. And he's just watching guys rebound right in front of him. And, you know, last second trying to, like, nudge at the ball when he easily like, you know, his guy got the rebound, his guy got a layup. I mean, again, you live and die with your best players. And clearly, and, again, we lost, and Marcus had five points. I mean, if Marcus doesn't show up or doesn't play – we know the whole thing with his his, his second his second year. We were awesome when he was playing, and we were a ninth place team when he wasn't when he was hurt. So we know what we are without him, and you live and die with his goods and his bads. And there was a point in this game where we thought, you know, just take him out. You know, he's he's not giving us anything on offense, and he's and he's killing us on defense. It warranted taking him out. And I noticed in this game too, you were getting him a little bit more breaks, minute and a half, two minute breaks, like two or three times and that. That happened with the 34 minutes, but man, five shots, three threes, made the one before half. All that he did not score in the second half. If you would have told me, hey, Marcus didn't score in the second half against Bradley at Carver Arena, I'd say, yeah, we lost by twenty-five. And that's the thing. Bradley didn't really do anything too great in this game outside of offensive rebounding and I guess making their free throws down at the end of the game. You know, so we had our chances that Marcus gives us 15 points, we might win. You know, if he just plays better, and the thing is with him is, and everyone, and there's no doubt about it, Melvin Leons is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. I don't think Jay Sean gets all the credit that he deserves for his defense, because I'd say if we're talking about kryptonite around the league for Marcus. We'll see it if Donovan Clay plays on Sunday. Is we thought it was Donovan Clay. I think it's Jay Sean Henry, because. Marcus wasn't even looking to even attempt to shoot. Maliby was on him at times. I think he could overpower Maliby. Obviously, he's smart. He's lanky. He can block. And there were even points in this game where Marcus, you know, we had Duke Dean on him and he was passing it up or settling with a jump shot. Him or Hickman and Marcus wasn't taking advantage of it. It's like, man, those are your only opportunities in this game. And like I said, I mean, he wasn't even trying. Like he tried to back up Jay Sean a little bit and then he'd pass it out. I mean, there were points when they give it to him, maybe 10 seconds left in the shot clock, and he just give it right back, and then we're and then playing with our hair on fire at that point right there, because that's the point we usually give it to Marcus. But he wasn't even trying, and that's the most troubling part. Is we could live if they were just shutting him down, and he shot 12 times and made two field goals, and he missed 10 shots. Okay, but the fact that he didn't even attempt it. So I mentioned how you give Malavie and Jay Sean a lot of credit because that they were the reason why Marcus didn't even look to even attempt to even do it, but it was a lot of Marcus's inability and the fact that he didn't do anything, so that was the biggest thing of this whole game, like I said, if he scores 15 points, we might win if he just asserted himself a little more, you can't do this coming off 32-point game we know his career struggles against Bradley, but it was just honestly a really pathetic effort for Marcus I mean, he had three, assists, says four rebounds, but, and he had two offensive rebounds, but man, you should have, could have had a lot more if the effort was there so I mentioned X, probably our best player. He led us in minutes with 36. Uh, he went four of six on the line. I mean, those two free throws, you could argue, were crucial in terms of, you know, obviously if a score is a certain way, a team goes down and treats an offensive possession kind of differently. Obviously if you're losing, if you're winning, if it's tied, like everything plays out. There's a different play call, I'm sure, in the moment. Like so many of those specific things play out that if you make those free throws, the game can kind of swing in that moment. Um and obviously it could be a swing. I don't recall thinking back now when I just talked about it. If he missed those, I mean, he went one of two both times, and then they'd go down and score. It could be like a four-point swing, three-point swing. Uh, but he was our best because he had five rebounds, had four assists, two steals, two turnovers, but had 13 points. Him and Lance tied for the lead. And this one, Lance, five of 14, two of seven from three three rebounds Jawan seven points all came in the first half or his second one came early in the second didn't hear from him again those six points 22 minutes didn't have any fouls or had one foul so it's not like that I mean, he probably should have played more uh you know he had some good matchups with montgomery and obviously against their guards and i i would even trust him against jay sean sometimes but jay sean doesn't shoot threes he'll get everything in the paint so we should have just easier said than done pushing a guy like that outside but just need to assert it yourself more. Like I said, Troy tried a little bit. Troy played twenty minutes, didn't score. Uh, did have a turnover and a rebound and that foul I mentioned. JD had four and four and seventeen minutes. Dalton only played nine minutes. Trent four did miss a three in this one. Both had a couple turnovers. Obviously, wasn't the best game. I was looking at because uh, I like doing the uh, the app stats more when they will load because they'll get a little bit more specific in certain certain aspects but uh see like espn at 36 minutes this app has x having 37 minutes so uh didn't have anybody over two turnovers but it was pretty sporadic Jawan was the only one that didn't i mean marcus had 30 marcus is one of his best games ever in a slug uniform was that one State game because he had one turnover 32 points and did everything else and shot pretty dang efficient uh so obviously wasn't enough you know we only had let me do that. When I mean, we had ten bench points, JD did have those six. So I mean, it was a nice game for JD. I think ESPN had those completely wrong. I think the app here has him a little better. Had X with thir- had thirteen, but it said he had eleven. So I'm not sure. But um, I'm actually glad I looked at it, the differences here. But clearly, it wasn't enough. And when Marcus doesn't do anything, you're not going to win most of the time. One of his most pathetic efforts. Zero doubt about it. But I mean we shot better than they did. They also have nine more attempts, and that was thanks to uh their second chance opportunities. They did have twelve offensive rebounds to our four. Defensive rebounds are twenty-three apiece, and we do a good job in that regard. Or I guess that number is whatever. I guess Bradley did. Um I don't know. Obviously just defensive rebounding is so huge. And again, against a team like that. I mean, there are 11 lead changes in this game. I mean, we shot 9 of 13 from the free throw line. It's only four misses, but it's obviously when who missed him. It was Lance. I guess Lance missed two, and then X missed two. Uh, They were 13 of 17 as a team. They shot 36% from three. They only shot 14. We only shot 17 threes in this one. Oddly, only made five of them, but we did shoot better overall. Like I said, they at least had nine more shots and three more field goals made. Um and then we had 13 turnovers. We did force 11 of theirs. Uh, they we had, they had 17 points off of our 13 turnovers, though. We had 10 off their 11. They had 19 bench points to our 10, um, thanks to Jay Sean in that regard. Uh, seven fast break points to their six. Had three more fouls than they did. They had 10 second chance points to our six. 34 points in the paint for Bradley. We, we had 28, so it wasn't too far off. We mentioned how if we score however many in the paint – you know we're almost undefeated, so obviously a lot of that broke up in this game uh for sure we had four steals, they had six, so and they had two blocks we had zero so like an overall game where again you you'll live with i mean you had your chances to win. it's not like you absolutely got blown out, you did at the end, but you had moments and weeks we would have accepted a carver a loss at Carver arena. Uh, but, you know, we see the way Illinois State was playing there. We saw Belmont win there, like, it, and those were such close games that Bradley squeaked out the Illinois State won at least and took a Ben Shepard game winner to for Belmont to win. But we thought we had a good chance in this one, and I could just sense it in general. I was like, I could see us just playing well. And we did at times, but a lot of it not, and definitely Marcus had a lot to do with not playing as well. Uh, I was going to compare uh, first half, second half box scores – uh Marcus let's see here I, I, I think he we well, he had two offensive rebounds in the first half I mentioned that's what he ended up with uh I think everything was really the same it was just extra minutes and it was just a waste of space out there no doubt about it um so we are 17 and 7 now 9 and 4 in the league um I did want to go through some more of these takeaways here stuff I've already mentioned in the moment uh I mentioned the ref missing bad calls uh twice on both sides, the ones I could I could know about. X had to carry us at times, but clearly he wasn't perfect. Uh we know Jawani tried to step into one of those charges again. Other than that, he disappeared offensively at the very end of the game, whether he was in there, I guess, or not. Uh and then I mean and, and what I said is, you know, we mentioned we only the at Bradley at Drake were the only two losses we said, okay, we'll live with. And if we can win all the others, easier said than done, right? And of course, that was before, so we gave us hope knowing how hard it was and you know to win at Bradley that the Illinois State game was so important. So now when you look back on that game, no matter how it happened, no matter how well they played, and we didn't win when our best player scores thirty-two, it looks it looks awful now. It looks very, very disappointing more than it already was. Uh and it's not really, I don't think Mike had any stats of that. I did have this on here just because I wanted to mention Noah and I have been talking about it a lot lately It's stuff that isn't really worth mentioning on here just yet in terms of a lot of different factors that a lot of people are discussing. And I mentioned kind of people overreacting after a two-game two, uh, two game losing streak, which clearly isn't the end of the world. Uh, you know, we mentioned how we put ourselves in the, in the awesome position to this point that losing two in a row, us and Belmont doing the same thing of – hey, we lost two in a row, but guess what? It's a tie for first. So it's not like we lost two, now we're down a game, or vice versa, or down by more. Put ourselves in the position that now, if you just keep taking it game by game, brick by brick, and this is something that maybe some people wouldn't want to hear, it's just the only positive thing to take away from this. It's clearly, it's not the end of the world. Like I said, when you lose, you're always going to find cons in a game. You're going to find some pros, not a lot, but you're going to find a lot of cons for the reasons why you clearly lost. Uh... There's a lot of heart bomb, but not enough to like warrant anybody being, you know, uh, unconfident or not confident moving forward because of what this team has done to this point. And you drop two games and against tough teams uh, that'll grind you out, kind of make it ugly, but they'll turn it up at the end. We know the flaws of this team. We don't have to talk about him anymore, any more than we already do. But it is a tie for first and now you just keep taking it game by game. But here's the topic I want to say, like I said, a lot of all that stuff has been talking and everything with Brian and not talking about all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not wasting my breath, but uh, AJ and he's, he's not factoring in. He's really off topic. and It doesn't even really matter. But I think it's worth discussing because we talk about, you know, how this team was built this year. We know Jawan X and Clarence, the three new guys have been great, you know, to each their own at certain times. Great. You needed that fourth one, and we knew at the time we had the fourth one. Clarence and A.J. committed, I think, a day apart back in May, and it was Clarence, oh, we saw him in the tournament. Great, get, can't pass that up. That's the reason why they got him. A.J. was a D2 player. We thought this at the time. We've seen snippets of it, and maybe it's whatever. Okay, D2 out of Arkansas, I think it was, right? And I think he averaged 11 points on a team that scored a lot. He had a guy that shot a lot and scored a lot himself. Loved his tape. You know, he had good tape, Has showed defensive tape, showed athletic ability. I was like, okay, hey, that is what we need at that size. Clearly, it, we haven't seen it consistently here. We talk about how in the Valley, that's an important position to get right, an important, important position to have. But if you're going to get a D2 player, you got to get a veteran. We we talked about it a lot for certain examples. You can't get a second-year guy D2 because we talk about how the staff looks at certain players is, as development well, they want to develop Cade more. They mentioned they want to work with a three-point shot next year. Shouldn't have burned the redshirt on him. We know all that. AJ's coming in here. Should have redshirted him too. Off and on, he's going to come in and not do a whole lot like he hasn't. He's a project too. I don't, I, and we mentioned the window. We have a window here. This year and next year, if we you know keep the players we want to. This is an ultimate window that we're not sure we're going to get this kind of era of basketball for a while. And the season that we're having is best that we've had under this regime. So it's like you need to win in the now. You can't afford to have a guy at that size, at that position, not play because you're wanting to develop him for the future. And I understand it. Only a small amount, though, of developing to make them better. But you need to win now. And that's why it goes back to, again, Scotty not playing when it, against a team you need rebounding for. I don't know if his miss-free-throw scare Brian didn't want to do it. I mentioned on the preview – Maybe your bigs can get found. You can match the ability because Bradley's not a good free throw shooting team either. Uh, but we needed rebatters, and it we couldn't get it done. And then Foster, we get down in a game, and I know when he comes into a game, people know about him, and they know how to, you know, he's scouted. If he's if he's coming in, check him. But I mean, he gets open enough to get a shot off. We don't care how he shoots it, where he shoots it, just want him to get it off. Uh, and he's capable enough defensively to guard. People on the floor, we mentioned how the the recent matchups. he's good enough to do it. So it doesn't make any sense of developing wise that Scotty and Foster need to play. And we talk endlessly. It's another topic of, you know, why should they stay here if they're just going to not get that respect? You know, they can't keep sitting out. We put ourselves in those shoes. We wouldn't want to keep sitting when we know we can contribute. And they're just going to go with what the coach says. And it's unfortunate. But we know Scotty can play a lot because he's played more than Foster pound for pound here since he's been back. And so you just need more consistently. You can't have a guy not miss a game, play three minutes, not see again in the action. The whole rigmarole we talked about. But in AJ's perspective, you can't have a guy at that position. Can't go recruit a young D two player and then just prep him for the, for next year. Because I mean, it's a bad maybe use of the example in the moment now. But Kennard Davis is the same size, more dynamic. I think overall. I've only seen him once. Seen AJ a couple times. I mean, Kennard's going to be up for A.J.'s spot next year no matter what. So I just think, you know, we mentioned how Guy's leaving. A.J. can be a prime candidate of that. I think it's just a guy you shouldn't have went and got. You needed a guy, a veteran, to help you now, uh, just like the other guys you added. And really just X and Jawan, because Clarence is a true sophomore as well. Um and I don't want to harp on him that he's just not getting the opportunity. We've seen him play. If he gets like a six-minute run, he can make an impact in a game at the time. He made – I mean, he he played in Oklahoma State and made a three. I mean, he – it's in there. They're just – that's the biggest gripe we have is the rotations, man. you got to play these guys, especially whenever Trent wasn't playing and – you know, I don't know. It is it is strange. That's the biggest gripe of all is rotation. So that's a small topic on A.J. It's unfair to him because he's not getting a run. But you needed a guy that you can know you could play and not even have any second guesses with. So that's the whole thing with that. It's unfair to him. But I think it's just a lack of opportunity at the end of the day. So, again, there we are at 17-7, and 9-4 and four in the league. Let me get to these other games real fast now. Um... Some great games that had happened uh we already you know I talked about clearly in the preview of the previous games in the weekend, so it's really just this set of games, and I'll get into the upcoming games here shortly uh the games on Wednesday were incredible. Let's talk about okay Missouri State. this is the one because we will might be the case. Noah's mentioned it a lot. I didn't know it was the case until you like look at the game, obviously that there was no donovan clay and and uh Brian Trimble in their game against Valpo at home. Uh, but it didn't matter because they won, although Falpo had their moments, but Missouri State escaped away near the end. One by nine. Austin Mason, who's been on fire for them, played 45 minutes in this overtime game. Uh, really needed Falpo to get this win for us in general just to get some more spacing out there. Couldn't get it done. Austin Mason at 27. Mogbo, 17 and 10. Just an absolute monster. Ridge, Ridgenall had 14 rebounds. Chance Moore, 16-6. and six. N.J. Benson played five minutes. Rafe Ayers finally coming off the bench, four minutes. Mayo was in the lineup, three points. James Graham, six points. Rich Nall with those 14 rebounds, had seven. So I'll get to more of those guys again, but they were, they were able to win against a a decently hot Valpo team who's playing better, and they were able to win without those guys. It was at home, so not taking a whole lot from it, but, but they were able to escape in overtime with that being the case. So. There was that one, Illinois State beat UIC, another overtime game. Uh, uh, Trey Anderson, 42 minutes. I mean, I mentioned these two because these are the next two teams we play Missouri State and UIC. We know what UIC's got. I haven't seen them play a whole lot this year. It'll be fun to talk about them on the next one. Uh, But Trey Anderson, because we'll have guys drop. 25 to 30 every other game and that was trey anderson in this game at 29 they had five bench points uic did chase carter 19 and alconi only had seven and 36 minutes so that's truly their trio other than that they're pretty average in that regard so that's where you got to jump on illinois state did riding their little winning streak at home in overtime uh i feel like i want to end with that one indiana state at evansville i'll end with the other one this one indiana state at evansville uh, it was a one-point game at half. Evansville was down one. No one were texting and said, man, can this be the game Evansville gets the job done? It wasn't. Uh, Indiana State escaped. Didn't watch it. People were saying how it's a lot closer than the final score looks. Thought this could be the game. Evansville, if they're going to win a Valley game, it's going to be at home. And Indiana State, the way they can play, a little off. But we know that uh, they, th- they didn't get the job done. Indiana State did. McCauley had 18-11. and 11, Julian Larry, 14-8-7. and eight and seven. Bounce back for him. Cooper Neese nice had 19. Bledson, we mentioned he had 20 last game. Had 13 this game. then uh, they got the win by 18 in Evansville. And then two crazy games here. Murray beat Belmont by 183 to 82. This game was on Valley Sports Midwest. I, I want to say insane game. You know we listen to a lot of Murray pods because we like. You know it's just an, ex, an extra thing to listen to. But the guy knows what he's talking about. Talking about how. You know, Belmont was like, made like nine threes. I think it was like nine of 18 in the first half and three, but Murray had a six-point halftime lead, so it was kind of crazy. Uh, Jamari Smith got hurt in this one, didn't finish the game. I want to say there's a good, whatever on him, report on him. I think it was a shoulder. He came out of this game. DJ Burns was in foul trouble. They managed to win. Uh, they got outscored by, like I said, it was only one-point game, up by six and a half, got outscored by five in the second. Belmont was on fire, and that final possession here, they said, well, uh, his name is Jeff Bidwell on the Murray State Basketball Podcast. Said Brian Moore, who had twenty five in this game, was hitting two huge threes. He only he went three for three in the game, made two huge ones though. Uh, you know, throughout this game to lure them back into the game, and then it came down to after. Let me look at this. Actually, I want to say uh, there was a miss free throw. I think it was Jacoby Wood missed a la- missed a. Let's see here. Kenny White missed a free throw at the end. Jacoby got it to Ben, Ben all the way down. Next thing you know, he's on the other side of the floor with seven seconds left. And I guess he was expecting a lot of contact, you know, defense wise. You don't want to harp on a guy too much, you know, when he's just rolling and quick as heck going to the rim and he missed it. He he underdid it. I don't think he got fouled. He just didn't expect to be that open and miss the front of the rim on a layup to give them the win. We know that's almost exactly what he did against Bradley. Uh, so they had plenty of opportunities. So Murray escaped with the one-point win against Belmont. Know, huge win. Murray's splitting that season series now in that rivalry game. Incredible performance from Ben Shepard, who had 35, 6 of 11 from three, nine rebounds, 12 of 21 overall. That solidified his player of the year. They did lose, but when he's, you're that efficient, not saying Marcus can't do something like that or has it. Yeah, it was almost exactly what he had against Illinois State, but uh, he did that. And we did, and it only sits playing well, not gonna lie. Decent defensive team, and Murray, good defensive team, good team overall. He did that again. So, Ben's in the player of the year race, but he was incredible in a crazy one point game there. And then the other one was able to watch it incredible. I think mean, this was the game that was on Valley, excuse me. Uh, Drake in a seven point double overtime win against you and I. Titan Anderson fouled out again in this one. He only had two points, ten rebounds though. We can't get him struggling like that. He's been fouled out a lot lately. I think – I can't remember exactly when he fouled out, but at one point to to get it to overtime, Bowen hit a three-pointer to force overtime, then made another three-pointer on an off-inbounds pass. He got it, pulled up and hit at the top of the key and forced a t- second overtime, just doing incredible things. He was 10 of 22 for the game, 5'11 from three, 30 points, he also fouled out at the very end. There's a lot of respect going between those two rivals and how hard Bowen had to work when Titan went out of there. Uh decent performances around. I mean, Landon Wolf had fifteen off the bench. Duex had eleven. He had he had some smooth shots. He's probably leading the way for freshman of the year, as we know now. Betts had ten, Trey Campbell had thirteen. But uh, we uh, talked about them. Love the way they're built with their young players being as good as they are. Bowen carried them and was a little too short there, but it was easily that. And the Belmont Murray game was the two best games of the conference season so far, I would say, and they took place on the same day. So incredible uh, effort by you and I. But Drake escapes with the win. That was Tucker's first game back from the infection. Had 11 on 13 shots. Roman Penn though 28, six, and four all other guys had double figures and they only had they had 13 bench points. So good win for Drake at home. The hold serve you and I incredible performance. So let's now look at the standings going into this. Obviously us two game losing streak, Belmont two game losing streak, but things are still looking the way they are. And this is what it is with tiebreakers and all, how it plays out because I was thinking You know, obviously we beat Drake, Drake killed Bradley. If you take into those tiebreakers outside of just the fact that, yeah, we beat Drake, Bradley just beat us. So you'd think Bradley would be in first, Uh, but that's not the case. We know Belmont swept Bradley. So it's us still at the top, at the tie with Drake right behind us in two, Belmont in three, Bradley at four. Uh, Those are the nine and four teams, four of them, and then eight games within one. So here are the eight and five teams, Murray, Missouri State, Indiana State, U and I falls all the way to the eighth seed, which seems crazy. They beat us. They have a couple good wins, but they they're fall to eighth in terms of how it would play out right now. Uh, Illinois State five and eight after two game winning streak, and then UIC one and twelve, and Evansville still 0 and thirteen. So would have some good first round matchups, uh, or th- good Thursday matchups, and then potential obviously good with the. I think I mentioned that you know I don't want to. We talked about strength of schedule. A lot of people are making a big deal about, oh, well, you know, I'm going to pick so-and-so we listened to Marshall the Arch and they were talking about strength of schedule. And I don't look too much into that because as we know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. And he mentioned, you know, they were mentioning Drake and Northern Iowa with tough schedules the rest of the way. And they mentioned all the games, but a lot of them were at home. Like that's still an advantage against whoever we know that Drake can show some vulnerability at home, but you know they get them at home, and you know they have some tough road games as well. You know we have one of the easiest schedules. Us and Belmont, of course, have the two easiest the rest of the way. Uh but no game's are given. People were thinking we were going to go in and beat Illinois State. So like, yeah, you have an easy schedule. You play Illinois State. Well, it's on the road, and we lost. So anything can happen. Don't look too much into looking ahead of how tough people's schedules are. Not in this league that everyone's taking, everyone's loving and parading over the parity. Uh, anything can happen. So I don't look too much too much into that. You take it game by game no matter who you're playing, truly. You just never know. Uh, so that's how that looks now. And then you know, obviously the tiebreaker is huge with that. So keep an eye on the tiebreaker the rest of the way because it makes us still be the one seed if it ended today with everything that's played out here. Uh, and we did have seed probabilities. Won't look too far into them. We're not projected to be the one. I don't recall who it is. That changes every single day. Just the fact that he posts it. Uh, there's new brackets. And besides Joel and Artie, there's another one that you know don't look too far into you know, the legitness of, I mean, it's a guy that some people follow, that's whatever, but don't look too far into it. Uh, Lenardi has us in his bracketology. I haven't retweeted it yet on the account. Still had us in there, but I think Lenardi just looks at it as, he needs to deep dive more. Maybe he does. I don't think so. He just takes whoever's leading the league currently. Uh, you know, we're still on top through all the tiebreakers, even losing two in a row. So he just kept us in there. But I've seen everyone else that we've been talking about, including like Field of 68, Rocco Miller, and some others that had Drake in there, which rightfully so, the way they're playing. They have the best overall record, and they're tied for first, so maybe why some people would have us still in there because we own the tiebreaker, I'm not sure. But Drake's also the only team being in these mid-major top 25s and stuff, so... That is what it is, so I don't want to go through those. Like I said, Lenardi, he barely looks at it, but he had us in there. The net update, I wanted to talk about. Still the top three teams that have been in the net all season long. Uh, if it'll load here, let's see, Bradley is 77, Drake 83, and here we are. See, it still has Drake at 17-6, and six, so I want to say this came out before the previous game. So I don't know what it is now. It's still updated, and we are... 110 we were previously 109 so has us has us at 16 and 7 which we were never 16 and 7 we were always 17 and 7 so that i don't even care about that we know net factors in you know net's the next thing you take from after a tiebreaker for outside of head-to-head matchups as we know but it's hit or miss i don't even know if they even have the correct data in there so there's those. I wanted to touch on a, a small topic because I was listening to March to the Arch and they had a an a interesting thing going on for or interesting uh, just nugget for Arch Madness weekend. As we know, St. Louis just now got an MLS team, St. Louis City SC FC, and they're apparently their home opener is that weekend. It's on that Saturday night, so could steal fans from March Madness. We you know when they were talking about it and they had some guy on discussing it. Uh, that that'll be the bigger draw than people just, you know, neutrally going to Arch Madness. People love soccer in that area. That's why they brought it there. So that could take away some of the fan base, but we know fans of the teams of 12 teams now are going to show up uh, no matter what happens on Friday. That is on Saturday. Now that is the semifinals, but I don't think it'll bring a lot of people to the city in general, because they'll be staying maybe to watch the game later that night. But because it is Saturday night, there are four games there. So I don't think it'll play too much into into account, but could very well, so I wanted to touch on that in case nobody knew about that. Uh, some separate separate topics here outside of the Pro Salukis that don't have any other games. I'll look at caches here in a second, but I wanted to touch on Chris Payton. There is a tweet from Connor Onion, and this is just a, you know, whatever at this point. I did notice this morning, I think as Connor was doing a big game between Kent State and I think Akron tonight, but... Uh, recently, he he had a tweet about Chris Payton, who's on who's on fire. Last four games, fourteen points per game, per game, eighty-eight from the floor, and yeah, in their game that's on ESPNU right now. And we we talked about highlights he had recently. I mean, it doesn't even matter talking about it. Just a what if because we thought we were gonna get him in this off season and went to Kent State, which can't fault him for it in the moment. He's playing like he's a four or a five for them though. He he's having volleyball spike blocks. I mean, he's doing it all for them. So it's a big what if. Wasn't really playing a whole lot to start the year, but now he is, and he's making an impact for them big time for Kent State. I wanted to mention it because it is a big what if and disappointing in that regard. Let me quickly look now to see if, uh, how Windy City's doing and their game they're playing right now. Uh, I mentioned Long Island with KV on. they're actually really good, they're leading the standings, but they're not playing tonight in the third quarter. Windy City is down by 16. Let's see if Cash is in here. Um, uh, he apparently hasn't played yet. So we know a lot of coaches decision. I mentioned that he hasn't played yet. So there's that topic. Uh, let's talk about Kennard. Now I mentioned uh the O'Fallon tournament that he had, you know, been uh, or that it was coming up for us. Next thing you know, Hey, that's already tomorrow and no one, I will be in attendance for that. Excited to see him. We mentioned, we saw him at Highland, like what we saw can't pass up any other chances to see him. We mentioned how he had a huge win against uh, Staley of Kansas City, Missouri recently, um, had 23 points in that win, when the, that showcase that they hosted. Now they're going on the road to O'Fallon and play the 630 game tomorrow night uh, against Chicago Simeon with Wes Rubin going to Northern Iowa and uh, Miles Rubin going to Loyola. So Simeon's nationally ranked, I think top 10, incredible team. Uh their coach just reached, I think he's he's reaching a certain milestone and wins and he's uh retiring after the season, so they're wanting to go out for him. So what an what a um opportunity for Canard, riding off another huge win. I wanted to go because he's got a team I wanted to go look at it because they have a teammate that apparently is getting looked at from way bigger schools. A 2025 20, player on his team. we'll, we'll, we'll be six seven player. I think we saw him. At Highland, Nicholas Randall, he told this one play that Missouri, Kansas State, VCU, SLU, Ole Miss, and Louisville have been the schools recruiting him the hardest. He holds offers from all six of those schools and an unofficial to Missouri here soon. So, Kennard's not the only one. We know he had some talented players, got a player back recently. They're at full strength now for this. We talked about they've been going across the country. That's why their record is the way it is, playing tough teams and – you know, it's going to be so fun watching them all play tomorrow against Simeon if they can get that upset. How incredible. So we'll leave after we work tomorrow. There's a couple good matchups before that. Chaminade plays. And then there's a big 8 o'clock matinee against two teams that are supposedly good all the time. But we're obviously going just to watch Kennard at 6.30. If anyone listens to this and likes good high school basketball and want to watch an SIU commit, we know I think there was some, there are a lot of Saluki fans at Highland. If you want to watch Kennard Davis Jr. next year's Saluki, Go to the Bank of O'Fallon shootout. I don't know if you can get tickets at the door to this point now. I think they might be sold out. Mo and I have some. So excited to go to that tomorrow. I mentioned his performance recently. We will cover this, cover how he did, obviously, on the on the next pod. Like usual, obviously, how he does with the fact that we'll get to see him with our own eyes again and see how he performs. Looking forward to that with Kennard. Uh, now let's quickly dive into the upcoming games for tomorrow. Uh, before I dive into the Bears here at the end. So for tomorrow's games, there are all of them but ours. Evansville is at UIC. UIC is a nine and a half point favorite. These are the two body-feeding teams. It seems like UIC is better. There are people that are predicting Evansville getting this win. I want to say UIC still wins. I might be on that boat of Evansville going 0-20. This will be their only other... You know, opportunity. There's not a whole lot. I'll take UIC, but I'll have Evansville maybe cover nine and nine and a half on the road. It'll be tough, though. That's a big number. Not a big game here, at Murray State at Indiana State. If Indiana State can avenge that loss in Murray not too long ago, seven seven point favor for Indiana State. I mean, you know, Murray has not been a good road team this year at all. Uh, Three o'clock game tomorrow. Evansville UIC is at one. ESPN Plus, this game's on ESPN 3. That's way too high a number. I say Murray covers the 7. I want to say Murray gets this win because the way they're playing. And State's on a two-game winning streak, but I like Murray in that game. Illinois State at Belmont. Belmont, 10.5-point favorites. The way Illinois, Illinois State's playing, that seems pretty high. I'll take Illinois State plus 10.5. I think Belmont wins. Wouldn't be surprised the way Belmont, if they're ticked off, uh, they get that win big, but we'll see how that goes. And then Bradley at Northern Iowa, huge game on ESPN News. That game got moved, I think, because the potential of LeBron James breaking the all-time record. They wanted to move that. I think it was on ESPN Two, so they want to have all big networks. I think I saw somebody say that. Whether that's the reason or not, uh, to be on the watch, LeBron watch for breaking the all-time scoring record. That they moved this on ESPN News. Bradley is a two-point favorite on the road. I'd say you and I plus two. They're kind of ticked off as well. Uh, we know Bradley's playing well. They're a different road team as well, though. you and I, great home team. I think you and I gets that win, and that's all we can hope for. to keep spacing it out, even though you and is only a game behind us. Um so I think you and I gets that win, plus two and wins. And then Drake at Valpo is six o'clock, ESPN plus game. Drake, nine-point favorites on the road. They're all, uh, also a different road team. is a decent home team. We'll find that out here in a in a couple weeks. Uh, I think Valpo covers the nine. I want to say Drake still gets the job done, but how big of a game would that be for Valpo? So we need – I mean, Murray and Indiana State have the same conference record. Don't know, don't really care who gets that win. I predicted Murray. If Illinois State can somehow beat Belmont on the road – you and I can beat Bradley at home and Valpo beats Drake at home. That's all you can ask for, but you, we know we got to take care of our own business and it doesn't matter. you know, Because we have a standalone game, but these all these games will go our way again, but we won't be able to take advantage at home with the way Missouri State could look. So that, those are the games for tomorrow. So let's now get to our standalone game. It's part two against the Bears. I mentioned before uh, Donovan Clay due to a sickness did not play in the last game. Granted that, You know he's had two weeks off, close to now, with, uh, with or at least one week, excuse me, with no game played. So, thinking he'll be better. I haven't really seen a status on him. I guess we'll just find out on Sunday and we'll retweet any status that Missouri State tweets out, like how we did with Darius Burford. Uh and same thing with Brian Trimble. Apparently it was a personal matter he's been dealing with, so I'm not sure if he'll show up either. I think I think Noah said that Dane has left the door open for both. But I think he says that I think I think he said no timetable for Brian Trimble. But Clay obviously is more important, but they both killed us in the last game. It's a game clearly you need to win. If both of them don't play, definitely if only one plays of each thinking that'll be clay more than anything because tremble put up 20 on us last game as their best shooter so it's a game that we can only control we can control with their situation so it's clearly a game you you need to win in that regard but even if they were healthy i would expect it to go in needing a win and expecting to win and i think we would have um but you know 70 matchup predictor you know, we, we mentioned what Missouri State's done since we last played them. It wasn't that long ago, uh, in that game we led from the whole the whole dang time. We know Missouri State also had a home game after that against UIC, barely won that one. UIC has been so close so many times, and then they went at Murray State, lost by three. They fought back in that one, and a tough game. And then obviously they did beat Valpo in overtime, as I mentioned, with no clay or tremble. So whether well, that's the case again, but so they won. Um, Two of the last three since they lost to us. So, you know, they're they're kind of the same team besides not missing those guys. I mean, one player that's been standing out in their games has been Jonathan Mogbo. He has been a freak. He's going to be an all-defensive team. He could very well play himself into a uh all-third league uh like one of the three teams. So there's a we know there's a lot of things up for grabs in that regard. I wanted to go look to see. Where they rank now in the updated stats around the league? Um, especially I want to look at him. If I want to look at the individual stats, what Mogbo is doing, uh, he is – let's see if he's in the tops in scoring. Uh, he is not – there's actually no – they're so spread out, there's not one Missouri State player in the top 20 in scoring in conference. But Mogbo is the eighth leading rebounder in the league. Uh, he is let's see if there's a – Donovan Clay's 12th in field goal percentage in the league, uh, three-point percentage, nobody on their team. I mentioned Trimble being their best. They obviously can shoot all. So mason has been on fire. We know they're not a good free-throw shooting team. So let me look at – yeah, I'm look at team stats now. They're still bad in team offense and pace, as we know. Uh, they're still third in team defense, and we know they're a great rebounding team. They are third in rebounding margin. They are ninth in team field goal percentage, so they didn't shoot all the that well. That's how we were able to take advantage of them last time. They were throwing up bad shots. Uh, they're middle of the pack. They're sixth in team three-point percentage. Chance Moore, who broke out in this last game, only had a three against us. He'll, he can break out at any point, though, if he's given the minutes. Uh, and they are first in team offensive rebounds. We, we saw a little bit of that. In the first matchup, and we saw with Drake, Missouri State does it better than Drake does. By 26, they have 26 more offensive rebounds than they do, which seems, or sorry, than Murray State. Bradley is third in offensive rebounding. Uh, Missouri State's second in block shots. UIC, who we'll see next, is first. They have a 12 advantage there in blocks. Or first in steals. Missouri State is fifth. Defensive rebounding, they are last, so they don't. Really, they all allow offensive boards. They don't crash defensively. I know Dana talked about that previously um, before the first matchup. So we can crash the boards, but we're not because they're last in defensive rebounds. We're last in offensive rebounds. So it's going to be a make or miss kind of game. And like I said, if they don't have the two players, we should very well take advantage. I wanted to look to see what Missouri State is in Kempom. We are, let's see if this is updated here. Uh, We are 123rd, so we continue to drop. Indiana State has now eclipsed us in campom which seems unfathomable to an extent, but they've also eclipsed Belmont. They're now 128. Missouri State is 140 in Campom net. I didn't look to see what they were in net. Obviously not great. Talked about the season they've had at this point. They're freaks. I mentioned Mogbo. He's playing fantastic. Austin Mason dropped 28 or whatever it was, 25-28, playing fantastic. Uh, original, good rebounder, good overall player. I mean, every, everything we know about him. Maybe we'll see N.J. Benson, who they stole from us in this game. He's been playing because of those two guys are missing. That's the name of the game. If they play, it'll be tough. If they don't, I expect it to still be tough, but I would expect it to win pretty big. James Graham's now starting to play a little more. Um... And then you got Kendall Moore as well, who killed us at the end of that game when they were kind of trying to claw back. So clearly they're still good. Those two don't play. Take advantage. If they don't, if they do, take advantage too. If they don't, definitely do. Like I said, we can only control what we can control. Uh, And then Noah had JD as his dog of the game. I mean, that makes sense. He's going to match up with Mogbo. He can say a live over big, and this will keep them off the glass. for me, it's interesting. There's no spread for our game. We have the stand alone on Sunday, obviously. Uh, I, it's easy to say Marcus because I think even if, if Clay doesn't play, Marcus has to break out. If Even if he does play, Marcus has to be better than he was in that game. It, like, it's easy to take the best players. I could pick Marcus for a bounce-back game. Uh, I think because if Trimble and Clay, who are guards slash forwards, that they have Kendall Moore – and Austin Mason, I think it's an important game for our guards. And I'll say Lance. I think Lance can shoot efficiently in this game. Um, remember the corner three had he struggled against Missouri State till he hit that three to give us a double-digit lead at their place the, one, uh, the last matchup. But I think Lance has a decent, e- e- efficiently shooting game in this one. And like I said, he's got to match Austin Mason, whether that's him or X, because Austin will be having to carry a lot for him. Also, J.D. for him, Lance for me. Uh, Like I said, no spread if I were to predict it at home against them. I'll say like a five and a half point spread. I think that seems about right. I'd I'd pick us to cover. I think if we can win wire to wire with all those players at their place, with or without them, I think we can win by more than six points. I would hope so anyway. We need a win desperately. You don't want to drop these games. With or without those guys, you need to win two here this week before you move on because we're at Drake after these next two. But we know no game's easy. UIC will not be easy as well. Like I said, they arguably have the best trio in the league, pound for pound. Might be a little inconsistent, but clearly very, very good. We'll get to them when we get to that point. So it's a whiteout tomorrow, I believe. Uh, so everybody, wear white. Or I said tomorrow. On Sunday, we're white on Sunday. It is a whiteout. The Dog Pound's doing uh, they're gonna have 250 white t-shirts doors open at noon obviously for one o'clock game looking forward to it to get back on track uh, Like I said two game losing streak Some people act like it's the end of the world clearly you don't play well It's a lot to take from it But you're still tied for first and if they didn't all end of the day, you'd be the first seed So you're playing bad and you're still right in it and you just got to take care of business and I mean, the thing you can do is hope for help. You can't really count on it because it never can be in your favor, but um, it's all we can do. we got to be not really be scoreboard watching the players. Shouldn't we can't because we got to hope for some upsets to get some space here, but you got to take care of your own business, and it starts with a, a tough Dana Ford-led Missouri State on Sunday in a standalone ESPN Plus game. Like, should get a decent crowd. They're expecting it for a wide out on a Sunday game. Get out of church, show up to the game. All good and dandy. Looking to get back on track. Hoping we do. We better. If we don't win this game, then then you could start hearing some chatter on like what we could be, even though we'd only be a game back. But how important, ever important that top four seed is. So you need to take care of business definitely at home. I really expect this too. I don't want to jinx this, but I expect this too. So looking forward to it. If you can't make it, 1 o'clock ESPN Plus if you can. Wear white on Sunday in that stand-alone game. Looking forward to it. So until next time, as always, go dogs.